invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. Just one verse, but oh, what a verse. So hear now the word of the Lord to us this evening from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. Paul commands Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. What does a pastor do? As a church planter right now who doesn't have my own office, I do most of my work in public, meaning that I will find a coffee shop, which for someone who hates coffee, doing most of my work in a coffee shop, it's not the easiest, but I do it. It means that I, I bring a large stack of very thick books, set them on the tiny little table and begin my study. And such a display often invites questions, and that's good for a church planner because you want to meet people. But one of the first questions is often, what is it that you do? So I'll reply, I'm a pastor. This is a revelation that garners many different reactions from enthusiastic delight, oh, that's so wonderful, to uncomfortable politeness, oh, that's nice, to clear disdain or simple confusion. But if they do not begin to awkwardly and slowly back away, one of their next questions is, so what does a pastor do? And if you have grown up around the church, you probably have some idea of what a pastor does, at least on Sunday mornings. He preaches, he teaches, he leads worship. You assume that during the week he reads his Bible and prays. Maybe you know that he counsels and visits the sick and attends various meetings. And depending on the pastor and ministry context, there are any other number of things you could add to this list. But I don't think any of these adequately summarize what God has ultimately called pastors to do. So what is at the heart of a pastor's labors? Why is he doing all of these things that he does? Well, consider 1 Timothy 4.16. In 1 Timothy, Paul writes to a young pastor who he has mentored and trained over the years. So he gives Timothy many instructions for himself and for the church. And it is within this context that Paul commands Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and and your hearers. That's what God calls pastors to do day after day, 
week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade. Everything else flows out of that labor. So I want to take a few moments to meditate on this verse with you as we are here to worship the Lord and to ordain and install Ryan Potter. Ryan, I'm, I'm not going to say anything that you haven't heard before, but I want to remind you of these things and encourage you as you take this glorious step in your obedience to God and faithful ministry to his people. But the rest of you should not think that this is a sermon for Ryan or pastors alone. For Paul also tells Timothy just a few verses earlier that he must set an example for those he ministers to. He must labor in this way so that others may see his progress. Think of Paul's words, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So these things are what all Christians must do to some degree, even though not everyone is called to be a pastor with all of the responsibility that that entails. So what does God call pastors to do and exemplify for those they serve? Well, first, Paul tells Timothy to keep a close watch on two things, himself and the teaching. For the pastor is a watcher. What is he watching over? First, he watches over souls. So you think of the words in Hebrews where the author commands his hearers, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. The pastor is a watcher of souls. But Paul makes clear to Timothy that the first soul he must watch over is his own. A pastor cannot faithfully watch over other souls if he does not first watch over his own. And Paul tells him to keep a close watch on his life, on his thoughts, on his will, on his affections, on his desires, his words, and his actions. His eye is ever upon his own soul, evaluating and promoting its health and well-being. He's like a physician who's, who's constantly taking his own spiritual vitals, making sure his, his pulse is strong, his blood pressure and temperature are normal. He's like a sentry in a watchtower, making sure that no enemies are making it through the wall, that no traitors are weakening the defenses from within. He is always to be at this work. Think of when our youngest child, Talitha, was just a few months old and she came down with the flu, which is, as you know, very dangerous for a young infant. The doctor told us, you, you need to keep a close watch on her. So we were repeatedly taking her temperature, tracking her wet diapers, looking for any signs of increased distress. I did not sleep. During those nights, I kept going in to make sure that she was still breathing. I do that even when my kids are healthy. I'm just a, a worried father. But especially at that time. And similarly, you are to keep a close watch on your soul because it is a matter of life and death. 
But what exactly are you looking for? Well, you're looking for spiritual health. How strong and steady is the pulse of your faith? What is the temperature of your godly affections? Are you nourishing your body appropriately with God's means of grace? Are you keeping sinful desires, thoughts, words, and actions at bay? Or are they tunneling through your defenses? So you're essentially looking for and promoting personal holiness. Which is birthed from your daily dependence upon God's grace. So most of you are probably familiar with Robert Murray McShane's famous quote, what my people need most is my personal holiness. Then again we ask, what exactly is personal holiness? Yes, it is faith working through love, it's spiritually disciplined, fighting against sin. But, but holiness is, is more than that. Personal holiness. Holiness is ultimately God-besottedness. The holy life is the God-besotted life, for He is the Holy One. So as you keep a close watch on your soul, what you are looking for most is pervasive affection for God, which naturally flows in faithful obedience to Him. We're looking to see that you have a mind that is Christ-saturated. You have a, a will that is Christ-honoring and exalting. In other words, God must be the defining subject of your life. The Christian, and especially the Christian pastor, must be single-minded in everything he does. Christians desperately need to see a God-besotted life in their pastors. They need to hear God-besotted preaching from their pastors. And that only flows from a soul that is forever docked in the harbor of Christ's adoration. God's majesty and holiness must there fill every crevice of your heart so that it forms every word you preach. Think about what precipitated Isaiah's call to ministry. It began with a vision of God's glorious holiness. This was the power of Isaiah's preaching. He was a man who had met God and became God besotted. The same is true for Moses. He comes to speak to God's people after he meets God in a bush, after he meets God on a mountain, and after he continually meets God in the tent of meeting. Oh, that we might have more pastors who come to the pulpit directly from a week gazing upon God's holiness and communing with him. Christians do not need to hear from a man who has merely wrestled with a text and context, with languages and word studies, with historical and cultural background. They need to hear from a man who has been spending all week wrestling with God himself and who joyfully limps to the pulpit because he has been touched by the hand of a holy God and he will never be the same. Weak after week, after week. 
You cannot preach a sermon to other souls that God has not first preached to your own. So how does one cultivate a God-besotted life that produces God-besotted preaching? Well, of course, this comes from the means of grace that God has wisely and lovingly given us. The watchful soul is a prayerful soul. The watchful soul will make his absence from corporate worship a painful rarity. The watchful soul will live in Christian community throughout the week. The watchful soul will gladly partake of the sacraments. But I want to focus on what Paul emphasizes to Timothy. For the pastor not only watches over souls, but the pastor watches over the teaching. Which is, in fact, one of the primary ways that he watches over souls. The teaching, I believe, refers to, to Christian doctrine expounded in the scriptures, passed down by the apostles. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, but it, it's not just doctrine. This is why he calls it the teaching. It's what's meant to be proclaimed. So to keep a close watch on the teaching, the pastor must be an assiduous and prayerful reader of the scripture. Yes, he ought to visit other good books, but the Bible needs to be his home. That's where he lives. Think of Jonathan Edwards, one of the, the greatest Christian minds of all time. And his biographer wrote that he had studied theology not chiefly in systems or commentaries, but in the Bible. And Edwards himself wrote, Be assiduous in showing great care and perseverance be assiduous in reading the Holy Scriptures. This is the fountain whence all knowledge and divinity must be derived. Therefore, let not this treasure lie by you neglected. So the eyes that closely watch over souls are eyes that intently gaze upon the Scriptures. The devil is also a very careful student of Scripture. Not to obey it, but to twist it. And he has empowered many false teachers throughout the ages to have done great harm to unsuspecting souls. So one of the reasons the pastor must keep a close watch on the teaching is because he is a soldier enlisted to guard the truth of Scripture that he might guard his soul and the souls of those entrusted to him. Much of what Paul, of, of what leads Paul to write to Timothy is to exhort Timothy not to be a false teacher himself and to fight against false teachers. So to watch the teaching is to make sure his theology is right and vehemently fight against error that would corrupt not only to himself but those who are listening to him. See, too often in our day, I, I believe a, a false dichotomy is presented, oftentimes by pastors. That you are, you are either pastorally sensitive, that you're, you're gracious and compassionate, you're loving and sensitive to poor sinners, or you're that guy who really cares about doctrine. So often I hear criticism of theologically precise and doctrinally clear statements saying, yeah, it's true, but oh, that, it's just not very pastoral. Now, of course, there's a way to speak biblical truth in an unkind and unloving manner but the problem is not precision and clarity it's not that you can care about the truth too much 
doctrinal clarity and precision, while maybe not sufficient for pastoral sensitivity, are necessary for pastoral sensitivity. You cannot love and care for poor sinners if you do not aim to communicate the truth of the gospel as precisely and clearly as possible. So the more you love yourself and the more you love others, the more you will labor for biblical fidelity and theological precision. To neglect careful biblical exposition and doctrinal distinctions and definitions is to hate yourself and those you are ministering to. In other words, if you fail to teach the gospel with theological precision, you always fail to be pastorally sensitive. You must always speak the truth in love. But you always fail to love when you fail to speak the truth. So the pastor and every Christian must keep a close watch on the teaching. You must ceaselessly strive and toil to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He must prayerfully pour over and meditate upon God's word day and night, thinking about these things and begging God to grant him understanding. Keep a close watch on yourself and the teaching. John Calvin says, it is not enough if he frame his life to all that is good and commendable and guard against giving a bad example. If he do not likewise add to a holy life continual diligence in teaching. And on the other hand, doctrine will be of little avail if there be not a corresponding goodness and holiness of life. Life and teaching, they cannot be separated. But then notice Paul's next command. Persist in this. Do not keep a close watch only for a few days or the first few years of ministry. You will be tempted as time goes on to relax this vigilance. The cares and weariness that accompany ministry, the disappointment, self-pity, deferred hopes, the days of small things, family trials, sinful desires, all of these things will attempt to divert your gaze from your soul and from the teaching. They will tempt you to make pastoral ministry like any other job. It just goes from nine to five and then you can do whatever you want. They'll tempt you to just veg in front of the TV because your mind is tired. They'll tempt you to cut corners in, in sermon preparation. Now you must rest and you must recreate. You must exercise and have healthy hobbies. But you never relax from watching over your soul in the teaching. That's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And so even as you think, how will I rest? How will I recreate? Don't just think of, well, how do I just not do things? It's how do I rest in such a way that I can better watch over my soul and the teaching? What is going to help me come back to God's word fresher and clearer? Not what just gives me a break. Paul's next words are astounding. He says, you must persist in this, you must persevere. Why? Because of what's at stake. If I'm honest, these words terrify me. 
there are a few sermons that I feel more inadequate to preach than those on pastoral ministry because I don't think I do it very well. But this is what Paul says. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Why is this so important? Because salvation is at stake. Salvation is at stake. This is not just a matter of life and death. It's a matter of eternal life and death. The pastor watches over souls in the teaching because the pastor labors for salvation. His own and his hearers. So first he labors for his own salvation. Jesus clearly says it is the one who endures to the end who will be saved. So the pastor must persist. He must persevere in keeping a close watch on himself and the teaching. Paul warns Timothy of Hymenaeus and Alexander who rejected waging the good warfare and made shipwreck of their faith. They stopped fighting and they shipwrecked their faith. He warns Timothy of other false teachers who desire to be rich and so fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction and they wander away from the faith. In 2 Timothy, Paul speaks of Demas who deserted him because he fell in love with this present world. You see, keeping a close watch on your life and the teaching is like keeping your anchor firmly upon the solid ground of Christ. But the more you relax that anchor, the more you start to drift. And eventually you will just lift it and sail away. So Paul pleads for constancy. That Timothy would not grow weary. That he would persist and persevere. Salvation is at stake. His own and his hearers. Philip Ryken comments, The spiritual destiny of any church is tied up with the spiritual destiny of its minister and his faithful proclamation of the gospel. Now, this doesn't mean that the, the pastor is the one who works salvation. Paul's not negating what he's already said in this letter. He begins his letter, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. God is the Savior. He again says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Jesus is the one who saves sinners. Paul also says, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all. Brian, you are not the mediator. You did not give your life as a ransom for anybody. And yet, Paul uses such strong language in chapter 4, verse 16. He does so because ministers of the gospel do have a crucial role to play in the salvation of sinners. Why? Because as Paul says in Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing. 
and hearing through the word of Christ. He says, you must call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. But how can you call if you have not believed? And how can you believe if you have not heard? And how can you hear without someone preaching? Think about the pastor's role. He is to preach the gospel. And if he is teaching a different gospel because he has not kept a close watch on it, souls are led into death. They are deprived of God's power of salvation, which is the gospel. And if the pastor lives immorally, then his life undermines his teaching. And his hearers are led to doubt the truth and power of the gospel because they don't see it in the one who's speaking to them. Again, Riken says, souls perish for the lack of sound ministry. So Christian, I want you to understand what it is that, that your pastor is doing every week. As he begins another week after Sunday, whether it's on Monday morning or Tuesday morning, he goes out to labor for his salvation and for you. That's what he's doing when you can't see him. And when you do see and hear him, what you receive is the fruit of those private, la those private labors. When he goes to his study and he opens his Bible, when he falls to his knees in prayer, when he teaches and preaches, when he attends staff meetings and presbytery meetings, when he counsels, he is doing all of these things for God's glory and he is doing all of these things for your good. His private study is for you. When he comes to the pulpit and preaches, he, he's come for your salvation. You probably don't realize how heavily and specifically you have weighed on your pastor's mind and heart as he is prepared to preach. I've had the privilege of knowing many wonderful pastors in my life and what often strikes me the most about faithful pastors is their deep concern for their flock. Pastors have many sleepless nights. Do you know what is the answer I, I get most often when I ask, what keeps you up at night? Most pastors will tell me, it's my people. They lie awake praying for you. They lie awake worrying about you, thinking how they can better counsel you and support you in your trials. How they can say the hard word in a way you'll receive and they know you won't like it. They are laboring for their salvation and for yours. But never believe that a pastor is laboring in his own strength. This is not to elevate pastors. No Christian keeps a close watch on his life and on the teaching by his own power. The pastor watches over souls for the salvation of souls by trusting in the only Savior of souls. To watch over your soul is to continually learn what Christ has proclaimed. Like this is the lesson I have to be taught every day and I wish I could just get it so that I wouldn't have to keep learning it. Jesus says, I am the vine. 
you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Ryan, apart from Christ, you can do nothing. That's what you need to remember. Every morning you get up and you fall on your knees to start the day and you say, Christ, without you, I'm done. Christian, that is what you must learn and recognize every single day. Apart from Christ, you can do nothing. It's not about you. I confess that there are many days that I, I want to be something. I remember what Charles Spurgeon wrote to his students who were going into pastoral ministry. He said, be content to be nothing. That is what you are. Be content to be nothing. That you might learn to rely every day upon the one who is everything. You must toil and strive. But how do you do this? Paul tells Timothy, For to this end we toil and strive because we have set our hope because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. So you toil and you strive, setting your hope on the living God, on the Savior of all people. It's as Paul tells the Philippians, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So the minute you watch over your soul and the teaching as if you are the primary keeper, you are done. You will only persist in these things because the Lord is your keeper. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. You will only persist because Christ will preserve you. It's the only way any of us persists. Your ministry is altogether the work of God. He is the one, as Calvin says, who forms good pastors and guides them by his spirit and blesses their labor that it may not be ineffectual. So really, to keep a watch on your soul is to keep watch of Christ. We hear all of this and we think that this is just a lot of internal navel-gazing. It's not what it means to watch your soul well. To watch your soul well is to always keep your eyes upon Christ. So Ryan, you are my beloved and dear brother. I am so thankful that God has called you to be my partner in ministry. And he is calling you to a high and glorious calling. He is calling you to labor for salvation for your own and for those whom you will minister to. And your daily life will appear uniform and uneventful in the world's eyes. Reading a biography on a relatively unknown Scottish pastor and describing his ministry, it says, it is a calm routine of lowly though sacred duties, a constant unvaried ministry of love, arresting no attention by its noise and known alone to the lowly homes it visits on its way and the flowers in the fields it waters. But in writing about this obscure Scottish 
pastor, the biographer says, such as the work was, however, he did it as all who knew him witnessed, faithfully and well, with a calm, serious, conscientious, cheerful, loving diligence that was the fruit of faith and prayer, always at his work and always happy in it and desiring nothing better or higher on earth. It's my prayer for you, that you would always be happy in your work, desiring nothing better or higher on the earth. And so I pray you will pursue what Paul commands Timothy. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. You must always pursue righteousness, not riches. You must always pursue godliness, not man's glory. You must always pursue faith, not followers. You must pursue love, not loud applause. You must pursue steadfastness, not security. Pursue gentleness, not ingenuity. Keep your eyes on Christ and lead others to follow your gaze. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that you would help all of us here by your grace to keep a close watch on our lives and on the teaching not relying on our own strength or intelligence, thinking we are something, but forever relying on you. Help us to remember each day, apart from Christ, we can do nothing. And may you keep us until the end. In Jesus' name, amen.